0: And welcome to episode 117 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, June 8th, 2023. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Pretty good. I have exciting news. What? There's a little
1: family of house sparrows in a nest. That I can see outside my kitchen window. I can look down upon it. Yesterday, all five eggs hatched. They're super ugly little (laughs) chicks, I guess. They're like naked except for four little hairs or pre-feathers or whatever you call them. And the mom and the dad go out and collect very big looking grubs and Things to bring back to the nest. And you think there's no way that bird is going to eat that giant thing. And then they like shove it down the baby bird's throats. Wow. This whole thing is, it's like Nature Kingdom back there. And I am very distracted by it.
0: I would imagine so.
1: And I think that they're growing really fast. And I think that within a week or so, they'll look like birds (laughs) and not pre-bird. I don't know. They're just... Creatures. Not very cute right now.
0: Yeah. They'll get there.
1: But it's kind of cool that it's right outside my window and I can see this. I can check in on her all day. The papa comes through and sort of guards the nest when she goes out to forage and vice versa. And then she just, I don't know how she fits in the nest now that all five babies are hatched, but she just crams herself on top of them <laughs> all night long. It's, it's very fascinating. For nice.
0: for me, a bird person. Yeah, very exciting. Can that fit into a bingo square? <laughs> bird watching. Oh my gosh. I don't think we have one for actual bird watching.
1: I don't think we have an actual bird watching one either. And I visited friends. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they don't listen to the podcast. But it it came to my attention that none of them like birds. And they are a calendar recipient. Like I made a whole bird calendar and sent them one. And how do you not like birds? All of them really do not like birds. And I when I got in the car afterwards, I turned to my son, Matthew, and I was like, I'm kind of offended on behalf of all birds that these people don't like birds. (laughs)
0: Did they watch the birds too much growing up, or something like? I I, I, don't know. I could They're... see being sort of ambivalent or neutral about birds, but yeah. like not liking them. I think there I are very people, interesting.
1: I think there are a lot of people who don't like birds, and hmm. if you're out there, you should spend some time with me because I kind of didn't like birds for a long time. I just wasn't into them. That's fine. I could see that, and I think learning the difference between birds and what makes them each different and unique? And drawing them, of course. That's what's really turned me into the full-fledged. So it's more that they're not interested in them. Because like, I don't really, really... They really don't like them. Oh, okay. Interesting. Right. You're not seeking out bird content. No. But you're not offended if... <laughs> Someone sends me a bird calendar. Right. Huh. It's okay. I still like them as a family. Okay.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I mean...
1: Interesting. But I feel like some education needs to take place. A little bit, yeah. Yeah.
0: So before we get to our regular content of On the Needles, On the Easel, On the Table, On the Nightstand, and obviously bingo, the best part possibly. We did have a couple of announcement-y type things. Comments. Comments. Sort of a weather report. It was kind of hot and humid today. So apparently we've gotten the East Coast weather because... the northeast is having our wildfire mess orange day so we see you
1: new england new york pennsylvania we know it's really tough to deal with because we have our own fire seasons here and we just hope that everyone in the path of or being affected by the fires stays safe and we have
0: tremendous empathy and then on a happier note, we also wanted to say happy Pride to everyone. I feel like a lot of times we have announcements about bad things and want to to comfort people and empathize with them, and and today we just wanted to say yay and hope it's a, a great fun month for everyone celebrating who they are. And so now onto the regular content on the needles. <sighs> My gridlines has just sat, so we won't talk about that anymore. I mean, I'm going to get to it. I'm just not mentally ready to do that yet. I haven't figured out what I want to do. I was thinking I could make, I could, I could do shorter sleeves, but I think the body is too long for that, that it would look kind of weird, but it is a possibility. So instead of Mm. having really long sleeves go like three quarter length, elbow length kind of thing, but I'm not sure. That's not really what I wanted the whole, I want it to be kind of a comfy oversized thing. So I'm not quite sure that worked, but that is another possibility that I'm adding to my checklist in my head for that sweater. Stay tuned. I did finish my Mahali toe-up socks. Pattern is by Earth Yarns, which is also who made the yarn. They're unique yarn in color 66, which is really fun. That's for sure. So it's four different striping patterns that follow each other. There's magenta and gray and uh, a that ochre. Hmm. Ochre and a lightish medium blue. Like a teal. <laughs> a teal. And then a f- olive green and a navy. And then a purple and black. So fun, Monica. I'm very excited. They end up coming about halfway up my calf, so they're quite tall. Um, there was enough yarn to go even longer. But the pattern doesn't really account for people having calves. So usually when there's a a knee sock pattern, I haven't actually made them, but I have read them because I have pondered doing knee socks. There's calf shaping, right? Like you have to Mm. add more stitches or, you know, do something because your calf is generally bigger than your ankle, I think, for most people. Oh, yeah. So you do need to take that into account. And this just has you do a bunch of ribbing at the top. So that helps. But not quite enough. I think maybe they had a couple extra stitches in there, but not a lot. I could have done things to make it to make them longer and to actually, you know, fit over my calf. But I'm perfectly happy with how tall they are. I think it's a nice height. I think we'll actually wear them at some point. Not right now because it is it's, actually kind of warm. It's kind of warm. Bizarre. So weird but yeah, I'm really pleased with them. It was fun. I, you know, as you <laughs> as you heard, I did decide to go ahead and finish them, which means now I have to to make some other plans. And so that was actually what I was doing right before Courtney came over was to, to kind of stash dive and find an, another skein of yarn so that I could cast on some self-striping socks. And I remembered I have a skein and it's called Little Birdie. <gasps> yeah. So obviously that was what I had to choose. So I'm very excited. So I'll, I've got to wind that up this afternoon, I think. And then I can get started. And that that I think will probably just be uh, an in the purse kind of project because I have some other plots and plans for some other things for my at home TV watching knitting. But we'll see. I'm disproportionately excited that you found. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know why that stuck in my head that one of them was a bird name, but it was and I was correct. So so that's always a joy. Right. (laughs) Being right about something. Um, But yeah, so... So that one will be on the needles probably soon. And that'll be good travel knitting and stuff as well, I think. Hooray. Uh, mostly I have been working on my Dark Academia by Sharon Hartley. Hooray, hooray. So fun. That one, my excitement is proportionate. <laughs> yeah, that one's very exciting. Porter Wool Company fingering in Huntress, which is an amazing dark green. Serendipidae, Coside, and Blossom, which is a peachy, pinky loveliness, very pale. It's just a joy to watch the pattern emerging, and it looks really good. And now that I've split for the sleeves and I'm working on the body, I think it's 10 repeats around, which is a very manageable number. So I don't feel like I'm knitting and knitting and not getting anywhere. It's very satisfying to come up to the beginning of round (laughs) stitch marker. And I don't think I've talked about this, so I picked an octopus for my main stitch marker for my beginning of round one. And my other ones, I used a set of owl stitch markers because octopuses and owls are both thought to be smart and it's dark academia. How fun. So, (laughs) yes, I love it when everything matches. Yeah, but it is is mostly a kind of late afternoon, end of the day, before dinner. There's still light out. I, I haven't tried knitting it at night yet. It just, I feel like I need more light and brain space (laughs) to work on it. But I am really enjoying it. I posted a yes, I posted a photo to show the progress on Instagram. And yeah, it's just, I think it's going well. I feel like I should probably try it on at some point just to make sure that it is fitting properly. (sighs) But that's always such a pain. (laughs) But I probably should. But then I also have a new project, The More You Know" by Sarah Shira. It is the 12th Mystery Gnome Along. I have not done all of them. I do have a lot of them, though. And this one I went stash diving for, so I have uh, very summery colors, or at least they're summery in my mind. They're very bright. So I had some leftover plucky knitter plucky feet in Miss Manners, which is a bright kind of neon highlighter pink. And then Urantini Sock, which is really old. I mean, these are probably from... 2011 or so if not older in match point which is tennis ball yellow slash green and ginger ice which is a lovely bright blue it's gonna be a wacky looking gnome oh my gosh <laughs> the pink is the beard color so I'm not quite sure how this is gonna look but whatever I, I don't th- these are the colors that I liked together and I couldn't find like a white or a gray that I really wanted to work with so I thought eh whatever. It's a gnome. It doesn't need to be serious. And <laughs> and so far, the pattern has been really interesting. You start off with all these mystery bits. like We have no idea what we're knitting. There's a, like a little ball thing and some weird thing that looks like a bow tie that, you know, like before you tie it as a bow tie. We made a, a tassel. So I don't know. And then yesterday's clue you actually start knitting on the body and there's some mosaic knitting which I'm excited about but I have not had time to get to it yet so hopefully today I will have some time to actually work on the body of the gnome and that will be quite exciting I think so I'm having fun with that I mean you can obviously still join in I think there's another well I guess by the time by the time this comes out it'll probably be I think we'll have all the clues Will be close to having all the clues, which you know some people enjoy. They want to not have it be so mysterious. But yeah, it's it's been fun. So then I'm just plotting and planning other other projects. As I was walking the dog this morning, I almost I had this thought. I was like, maybe I should just cast on five new things. Just all these things that are sort of swirling in my head because I have things like a blanket that I wanted to knit, and I don't know all these different sock patterns, and and I keep getting caught up in, well, okay, but I have my sweater that I'm working on, so I don't want something else complicated. And I've got this and I really want like a t-shirt top. You know, whatever. Let's just start a bunch of things. See what happens. I don't know if that's the solution, but we'll see what happens. So exciting. Very exciting. What is on the easel? Well, you
1: might recall that I declared June art focused. I'm happy to report that so far, so good. We are eight days in, and I haven't painted yet today, but I've been painting and posting on Instagram, my Instagram account, my processes and progress. I don't know if it's progress yet. However, I am showing up and I'm doing the work. So I found some really great poetry volumes and I thought I would use the poetry as a jumping off point. I'm trying not to spend too much time getting lost in the words and more time building the compositions. And that is a little bit of a challenge. However, I'm into it. I'm in there, I'm painting every day. I really want to work bigger, but it's like I have said in times past when I have been away from the studio and come back to it, it does take me a little bit of time to find my groove. And that is what I'm doing. It's a little painful, probably on the other end, as well as my end, you know, just like seeing it, like what's she drawing now? I did have a couple really great moments where A fellow artist had posted a photograph from an aquarium, and that was like a really clear cut moment of inspiration. And I went and drew the fish that she saw in the aquarium. And then a couple days ago, I was sketching, sketching, sketching all day and found myself overthinking it. And then when I sat down, out came this like camel with a blanket on its back with a weird Landscape in a frame behind him, and then his own landscape behind that. And I don't know what it means, but the layering of it is really interesting to me. I think there's some kind of nugget there. I'm not sure. So I'm in a sort of painful art process stage, and I am leaning into it. If you want to follow along, just you can keep an eye on my Instagram account. And then there is a highlight called June 23 above it. And that's where I am showing work in progress or more rough sketch type things so that you can see the sort of process or weird moments that are going into it. So that's where I'm at. Cool.
0: On the table, first of all, we wanted to announce we have picked a new cookbook for our next review, and it is Veg Forward by Susan Spungen.
1: Hot, it, hot, hot, hot off the press.
0: Yes. It is beautiful looking. It is seasonal. It has a couple of desserts in there, too. And it's, for
1: my carnivorous household, I see easily a dozen recipes that
0: I'm interested in making. So we're running with it. It looks very exciting. And I realized... That I actually own one of her other cookbooks. It's like a party planning cookbook, which I really enjoyed. I mean, not that I throw parties anymore, but I like planning them mentally and then just not hosting and just having (laughs) ideas. So I had quite a collection of hostess cookbooks. And I really liked hers. And I did actually use some of the recipes and ideas from it. So I am very excited about about this one coming up. So we will report back in... I don't know. We haven't decided yet. We just got... Well, I got the cookbook and Courtney approved. I so was probably curi- a couple weeks. Yeah, months, I'm yeah. curious. Um, We've got travel and so it might not be until the end of the summer, but... Yeah, I think that's probably likely. Realistic, yeah. Check it out on your own and, and let us know what you think. So for things I've actually been cooking, I have a lot of very springy kind of things. Even though it's June, I feel like we're just getting our spring produce. My first one is... Not terribly uh, spring related, but it was tasty. Fast tomato curry with eggs from How to Cook Everything Vegetarian. It was fast and tomatoey and curry and had eggs. So I was looking for kind of a simple but different meal. And we had a ton of eggs in the fridge and they weren't getting eaten. So I wanted something to use eggs with. And boy, 2 wasn't going to be home that night. So it felt like I didn't have to try and please everyone. It was just really simple. I mean, onions. He, I used canned tomatoes. And you could use fresh. Some curry powder finished with coconut milk. He has you add hard-boiled eggs. He also has a variation using poached eggs. I did the Dinner of Love Story seven-minute jammy eggs. Kind of add them at the end to get them warmed up. So if you had, you know, hard-boiled eggs in your fridge from whenever that would get them warmed up. I just kind of wanted the little the sauce kind of on the outside coating it served with rice. It was really tasty. Excellent. It's not I don't think it's authentic to anything, but <laughs> you know, kind yeah. of a variation on an actual Indian dish. So I really enjoyed that and will probably of keep that in the back of my mind for for in the future to put on repeat. Was it a yellow curry? Yellow curry powder, but then it's got all the tomatoes. Mm. It was, I mean, I think I used two cans of tomatoes, uh, and just that's chopped the most mild of the curries, right? Yeah, it was super mild. Th- this and is not a curry paste, just like mm. the bottled curry powder. I mean, obviously, you could fancy it up with a more expensive curry powder, or do your own, or you know, it's had, curry in the American sense, right? I had a really
1: mild curry whilst out and about, and. It's not a flavor that I ever turn to, but I always love it. So I think I should
0: explore that a little bit. Yeah, I I enjoyed it very much. And then, yeah, like I said, we've had all of the vegetables. So for the asparagus update, I made the asparagus soup from Weekday Vegetarian. So good. I don't think I had made that before. Did we get it? We did have it in the spring last year. I think so. I think it's been out for at least a year. Um, but for some reason I didn't make it. I decided that was what I wanted to do with it. It was again really easy, really bright, really flavorful, definitely a winner. Again, my family is probably not as into asparagus as I am, but they they thought it was pretty good. And although my child thought it was like a sauce for whatever else I was serving. <laughs> I went to put it on top and I was like, oh, well, that's not what that's for, but sure, you could try it. Which could also mean I probably did need to add a little more water to thin it out, but I thought it was pretty good. And I didn't have time to chill it super thoroughly, but it was still plenty tasty. And then last night, also from the weekday vegetarian cookbook, um, sugar snap peas with a, on top of ricotta, and you just raw sugar snap peas, slice them up, in a white wine vinaigrette and then you smear ricotta on your serving plate dump the vegetables on top a little optional chili oil it was so fresh very delicious again with the vegetable with the dairy apparently this is something i love very much and it is satisfying it was really good i have made that one and i put
1: chili crisp on it i think because yeah. i didn't have chili oil
0: i did the same thing i just yeah. kind of poured some of the the oil out instead fun Instead of the whole crispy business, but that would have worked as well. And that did add a nice little contrast to it, I thought. Everyone seemed to like that. And then strawberries, I have elected to get the strawberry add-on for my produce box, which is where they send you two, two pounds of strawberries every week. You don't have to order them, they just show up but not part of your regular order. And I had done this two years ago. I skipped it last year because I remember thinking, oh, it was really a lot of strawberries. I decided to do it again this year because why not? Let's see what happens. And then I forgot that it started last week. So I ordered a thing of strawberries. So I had three pounds of strawberries to get through. So I made some strawberry stuff. I made Smitten Kitchen's Easy Strawberry Lemonade, which was indeed very easy. Four lemons, cut off the skin, chop them up, Throw those and sugar and water and the strawberries into your blender. Blend it, strain it, drink it. Really good. Yum. Boy, too, very happy about that. And I think he drank most of it on his own. I did have a little bit as well. So that was really fun. And then strawberry creme fresh bars from 100 Cookies. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh! I don't know that I've ever made those. Yeah, you might want to, okay. especially if you have a lot of strawberries. So you use the fresh strawberries as well. The only thing I didn't like about this is you. So you cook the pound of strawberries with some sugar and a little bit, a little bit of sugar, a little bit of water, and then you squish them to get all the juice out. And then you don't use the actual strawberries, you're just using the juice. Mm. So it felt a little bit wasteful, but it was still delicious.
1: Could you then turn around and make the strawberry lemonade with the... Mm, I mean,
0: they've been cooked, mm, okay. so they're pretty... Jammy. Yeah. And then mushed. So they're not super attractive. But yeah, maybe you could use them as like a... Jam. Jam. All the juice is out of it, though. Maybe like an ice cream topping or something. Mm. I didn't think about it that much. Freeze-dried strawberry powder is added to the juice along with a bunch of sweetened condensed milk and creme fraiche and some other, you know, lemon juice, blah, blah, blah. And then you make a crumble base and it has oatmeal and flour, brown sugar, regular sugar, lots of butter. Delicious. Bake that, put the filling on top, add the rest of the topping and bake it some more until it's it's basically cheesecake with A top and bottom crust. Did step away from my (laughs) mixer for a minute. So instead of a crumbly topping, I had pie crust, basically. Yeah. (laughs) Which was fine on the bottom because you're smushing it out and making it all flat. But it was not really possible to crumble the, uh, the remainder of the topping onto the top. So I kind of broke it apart and did big blobs and it worked out fine. And it's very rich and very tasty and beautiful. And that was that was pretty fun. And I have had problems in the past with getting my bars from this cookbook to work out, but these were great. I cooked it a little bit extra long. Mm. I don't know if it was necessary, but they are a really good consistency and very, very tasty. Great. I'll have to look that one up. Yeah, that was a good one. How about you?
1: Well, given my On the Easel proclamation of June being art month, I have also redoubled my efforts to make myself a really nice lunch. Temple lunches, even temple breakfasts, frankly, are back. So I did a giant batch of my egg cup muffins, which is the spinach and green onion. And sometimes I put a little bit of breakfast sausage in if we've got it or regular sausage and feta cheese in the big muffin pan. So it yields kind of like a custard egg with all kinds of goodness mixed in. Those have been great for breakfast and then I have been making really gorgeous salads for myself at lunch. Lots of greens, whatever produce is on deck that looks fresh and luscious, lots of herbs, pumpkin seeds, the papitas, goat cheese often, whatever, whatever kind of cheese is speaking to me from the f- cheese drawer. I make my own dressing which is just a super light Dijon vinaigrette and I keep it on the counter and what I was doing earlier in the week was you know if I was shredding some cabbage I would make extra so that if I wanted a salad that evening or the next day I'd already have the cabbage shredded and the cilantro plucked and the green onion sliced so that I could just sort of pull from the components and then topping it off with something like a couple nice green olives or a little avocado or some homemade croutons. So just making it extra delicious for myself. That has been a great effort because then even though I'm taking a break from either the poetry reading or the whatever I'm working on, when I go back into the art room, I do feel like taken care of, you know, and it makes for a little bit better of an afternoon Art-wise, So I'm kind of proud of that effort, and I hope to keep it going. For the rest of the family, at Monica's urging and insistence, I went and borrowed I Dream of Dinner So You Don't Have To, the Ali Slagle cookbook. I think I had picked it up once before, but was rushed or something. So this week I made, I had a house full of boys earlier in the week, and I made the Her meatballs, which instead of egg and breadcrumb have ricotta cheese, I found that to be an excellent swap out. My older son is working and he has been taking meatball sandwiches every single day this week. And so we've gotten a lot of mileage out of the meatballs. The other thing that I made was... Parmesan crackers from Savory Bakes. We were going to see friends for just a little get together and I wanted to have a snacky thing. And so these, you make the dough in a log and then slice them up and bake them off until they're wonderfully golden. When I first took them out of the oven, I was like, these are terrible. They need something like cheese. (laughs) (laughs) And what happened was they cooled down we took them to the friend's house, and then they were excellent. And I don't think it was the cocktail. You know, I think they just needed to cool. So I really like that idea. I really like the idea of having some some kind of appetizer, cracker type thing. And it might be something I explore more of over the summer. So that was a – the the Parmesan crackers were my bingo square of something from scratch. Crackers from scratch. Oh. But my cook something bird, bird related. (laughs) I made duck fat
0: potatoes.
1: (gasps) I have never cooked with duck fat before. No, I haven't either. Ever. It's supposed to be amazing. Well, I wasn't sure because I don't like go for duck. (laughs) It just caught my eye in the grocery store and I bought the container. And then I saw a recipe on the internet for these duck fat roasted potatoes and you take the duck fat and render it down with a lot of garlic and rosemary and thyme so you infuse the duck fat i could have added twice as much garlic because it it wasn't quite strong enough or flavorful enough with the 15 cloves i added yeah because you strain them out ultimately yeah then you do kind of like Hasselback potatoes, where you mm. pour the, the rendered duck fat into a pan in a hot, hot oven. The potatoes are par-cooked ahead of time. And then you just, every 10 minutes, toss them around in the duck fat in the oven at a high temperature. And so they get coated, coated, coated.
0: Like the melting potatoes?
1: Uh-huh. Okay. A lot like the melting potatoes, except a lot more tumbled. And then the last five minutes, you pour off any remaining duck fat. There was a ton. And you let them crisp up fully. They were so crispy and delicious. It was like, it was almost like I deep fried them. The flavor was gorgeous. They could have been a little bit more garlicky, in my opinion. I could have made twice as many. And we'll have to next time. It was a super fun, different approach to potatoes for me. And... It was a square on my bingo sheet. Very nice. This is insert applause here. <laughs> Yay. That does sound amazing. It was fun. It was a fun new thing. On the nightstand. Should we tell people to go get their cup of coffee refilled? And <laughs>
0: Probably. Moni-
1: Monica warned me that she has 11? I think it's 11. 11 books. Yeah. So I'm going to do I my seventh a- inning stretch over here.
0: <laughs> Uh, I'm back. My reading, reading bonanza. I did want to say, first of all, it's TJ Clune, not Klein, which I said multiple times last episode. And as I was editing, heard myself and said, that doesn't sound right. I had written it down wrong and just went with my notes and they were incorrect. So I wanted to make, make that note in case some of you were yelling at me as you listened to it. Sorry, TJ. But yes, so many books. I think it was last weekend. I just... I did nothing but read, basically. It was delightful. Sort of a little mini personal vacation of of nothing but reading. So that was part of it. And then there's a bunch of audiobooks. And so I will try and keep the reviews kind of short because there are a lot of them. My first two books are part of a flight with the Dead Queens Club that I read two episodes ago, I think, which was Henry VIII and His Six Wives, but make it high school. So these are also Tudor-related ones. First one is The Tudors in Love by Sarah Gristwood. This is an actual history nonfiction. She has a ton of great, very readable history books. And this one is all of the Tudor monarchs looked at through the lens of their relationship with courtly love and those stories and how it all worked out and how it both elevated women and didn't. (laughs) So it was really interesting. I don't think I would read it if I was looking for a good basic intro to the Tudor dynasty. But if you already know the basics, it was an interesting little deep dive into how they approached love and their relationships and how it affected all sorts of things in their lives. And then some historical fiction, The Queen's Gambit by Elizabeth Fremantle, which I listened to. And this one has just been made into a movie that debuted at Cannes recently. And it's called something else entirely because The Queen's Gambit is a chess TV show. And Jude Law is Henry VIII. Uh, so I'm very interested in uh Alicia Vixander, is that the name? Yeah, I think she's... um, Catherine Parr is our main character. She is wife number six. She is survived in the little poem about the wives. And she is always very under the radar. I think all of the the interest goes into the first two wives, Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn. But uh, she is very cool on her own. Story starts off right after her second husband has died. And she heads to court... Henry gets interested in her and she has to marry him. So it's their marriage. And then what happens to her after? She was the first published queen. She wrote three books that were all published in the time. She had just had a really interesting life. And this story does a pretty good job. I'm very interested to see the movie. I think the movie would probably be better. But this was... A pretty good book. It went a little bit deep into the religious aspects, which was, to be fair, a very important part of her life and her personality, but less interesting to listen to. But it really, really set the scene and gave you a good idea of what it would have been like to be at Henry's court with this, I mean, probably literally crazy tyrant. Um, You really got that fear. There was a secondary plot with one of her maids, so you got the upstairs-downstairs kind of view of things, so... I think the movie's called Firebrand. That's the one. Yeah. I could not contain my curiosity. Sorry. Yeah, no, I yeah, I kept meaning to look it up and put it in my notes, and yeah. I did not, so thank you. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't think it's even out in England yet, so I don't know when it'll get here, but I am looking forward to it. And then a couple of romances. The first was Gigi Listening by Chantal Gertin. Uh, she is Canadian. Gigi is a bookstore owner in Ann Arbor, Michigan, a romance bookstore owner. One of her favorite things to do is listen to this one particular romance. It's a book that her parents were both reading when they met, and that was kind of how they bonded originally. But the audio version, the voice of the guy who's reading it, just speaks to Gigi. She loves listening to it. And so for her 30th birthday, her friends all get together and buy her a trip to England that includes a bus tour and the bus tour operator is the audiobook guy, his family. So he will be the guide on this bus tour of London, of England. So obviously they're going to meet and sparks will fly, but it doesn't quite work out that way. So there's a whole fun cast of characters that are other, other people on the bus tour with her. And because she is a bookstore owner, lots of books get mentioned, especially romance books, including Love in the Time of Cholera. Which I just talked about last time, so that was very amusing. This was not my favorite most romance of all time. is definitely a first debut author kind of book. So there were parts of it I was like, ah, that's not quite right. But the characters were pretty interesting, and I loved um, my mom and I did a bus tour of England. Uh, gosh, several years ago now. Uh, so that was really fun. To they went to a lot of the same places, and I I enjoyed reliving those memories. I did enjoy much more A Spinster's Guide to Danger and Dukes by Amanda Collins. This is actually the third book in a trilogy. I haven't read the other two. That was not a problem. Poppy has been hiding in London, living in London, working for a newspaper. She ran away because her parents uh, wanted her to marry a horrible man. And she has just seen in the newspaper that her younger sister was instead forced to marry him and now he's dead, and they think she killed him. So she is off to help her sister, because obviously her sister isn't responsible. On the train there, she runs into Joshua, Duke of Langham. What, what time period does this take place? There's trains. So I think like 1850s. Okay. But women can't go to university yet. But they're talking about it. So like, yeah, so somewhere in there. Okay, is Isn't it funny that that's how we can date a book? <laughs> what can't women do? Yep, true. All right. Sorry. It's a, it is a very good point. So the Duke offers to help because he is the Duke in the neighborhood. So he figures, oh, I can, you know, tell the police what's going on and it'll be great. And in return, can you please pretend to be my fiance for the week so that all of the young ladies that my grandmother invited to the house party won't bother me? We can see where the shenanigans are going to ensue and how it's all going to work out. It was delightful. He totally respects her intelligence. Plus, finds are very hot. It was a lot of fun. Excellent dialogue, very witty and snappy, as I like. So that was a fun one, and I might have to go back and read the first two. And I feel like there's probably a fourth one uh, that will appear after this. And then moving on to Mysteries, Eyes for Innocent by Sue Grafton. Listen to this one. Just keep, just keep going along. So in this one, Kinsey is taking over an investigation for the attorney that she now shares office space with. He had an investigator. He's working on a case. Uh, there was a murder trial a few years ago. The defendant was found not guilty. And now there's a civil suit and he is representing the family of the victim. So they are trying to do subpoenas and do some background investigation interview people again to get ready for the trial. The investigator that was on the case died suddenly and unexpectedly of a heart attack. And so Kinsey has been asked to look into things. Obviously, things are not as they seem. Is the guy actually guilty? Unclear. Lots of investigating and good traditional Sue Grafton mystery business. And then another audiobook that I listened to, Two Nights in Lisbon by Chris Pavone. Do you know if your husband has listened to these? I don't think so. Interesting. Yeah. I. Th- so this one came up in the Summer Reading Guide, the Modern Mrs. Darcy Summer Reading Guide, as past Summer Reading Guide choices that were really good on audio. Yeah, so it came out last year, I think early in the summer, and... So it was immediately available for my library So I thought, okay, let me try this out So it's an adventure thriller kind of one Takes place in Lisbon, which I have been to So I always like to to know the location So that was fun Ariel is in Lisbon with her husband, John They've only been married about three months So it's a little bit of a, a honeymoon kind of thing He's there on business So they go over a little early To see the city and then, you know, there'll be some business dinners and the spouses are supposed to be there, that kind of thing. But on their third morning there, she wakes up and he's not in the room and there's no note or anything. His phone's gone, but his passport and all his clothes are still there. He doesn't come back for breakfast. She's kind of worried. She goes to the police. She goes to the embassy. No one takes her seriously. And then she gets a burner phone shoved into her hand and a phone call and they're asking for ransom three million euro in 48 hours. So you get Ariel's viewpoint, you get the local police's viewpoint, you get the embassy people who are actually the CIA, because that's how it works, apparently. Get there, there's three different plots going on to find John. And then other things start happening. This is 14 hours, people. It is a really long, which is generally fine. Like I I love a big, giant, chunky book. It was not quite what I was expecting in terms of... Like, it's a a thriller, so I was expecting Fast and Furious, and it took a right turn in the middle, and then it came back on track, and the ending was great. The middle part is really hard, which I was not expecting. There is a sexual assault. There is a lot of uh, detail about the aftermath and things going on that I was not expecting. I don't think it's mentioned anywhere in any of the summaries of it. At least, I mean, I didn't go really deeply into it. It definitely needs content warning. It was hard to listen to. And I almost gave it up. But the adventure part of it is really good. Or at least I I enjoyed it. I just wanted people to be aware of that in the middle because it is a big part of the story that you need to know. I can tell why he did it. I understand it. It's definitely making a point, but really hard to read and might not be for everyone. But the adventure part was cool. Um, this is not his first book. He has a whole bunch of them. So that could be something fun to check out. And then I did enjoy the audio. I thought the, the narrator did a good job. And then I read Symphony of Secrets by Brendan Slocum. This is his second book. He is a classical musician and professor for like 20 years. And now he's writing books. So they always take place in the music world, which is super fun. They're sort of thrillers, but with music. So this one, Dr. Bern Hendricks is a professor and gets called to the Delaney Institute. Frederick Delaney is early 20th century American composer, best ever compared to Mozart, amazing, wrote an opera cycle. The fifth one, the original copy was lost while he was writing it and he had to rewrite it. It was never seen as quite as good. So he gets, Dr. Byrne, gets called to the Delaney Institute. They have found the original, and they want him to work on it. So he brings his friend uh, Ebony in. She is a computer genius. She has worked with him on some scores before, and they start to notice some weird things. They find a, a secret woman in Frederick's life. Then they find out some more secrets and some more secrets, and they're hide- in hiding, and it's it just goes off. It was really great, plus all the music stuff, I, which I, quite frankly, do not understand. <laughs> but the people in my life are very musical, uh, so I really enjoy that. And if you are a music person, I imagine it just adds a whole other layer. Uh, it was really fascinating. He's he's a really good writer, apparently besides being a great musician, uh, so this one is super fun. A very good summer read. Plus, in New York, you get like the 1920s music scene in New York City, which is delightful. And then I listen. Oh wow, I did a lot of audiobooks. Uh, listen to Echo by Pam Munoz Ryan. And this is actually a children's book. It's a pretty big book as well. So later elementary I think my school. kids read it like fourth or fifth grade. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say something like that. Definitely get the audiobook if you're interested, because this is another one that deals with music, and they put in a lot of the music. So uh, That's cool. Yeah, so that was really good. I feel like they could have found readers with better voices, (laughs) because they would sing a little bit, and it was slightly painful. And I can't sing at all, so I totally respect them trying, but I feel like they could have found someone that could both read and sing. Anyway... So it starts off with kind of a fairy tale. A boy is lost in the woods and he meets these three sisters and they enchant his harmonica and help him get home and they need to be rescued from the witch and it involves the harmonica. The harmonica needs to go out in the world and help people and then save someone's life. So then you get the stories of three children, one in Germany in 1933, one in Philadelphia, in 1935, and then Southern California in 1942. So as you might gather from those dates, lots of bad things going on at those times. So not an easy book, obviously, but written at a kid-appropriate level. There is definitely all of the various issues that you might expect with Nazis and Japanese internment camps and the Depression and orphan children being mistreated so all of these things are addressed, but not as heavily as they would be for an adult book, which every once in a while is like, oh, I don't know if I buy that. But OK, it's a kid's book. I will let it go away. <laughs> but then it all comes together at the end. It was really beautiful. And then the audio part of it was really well done. You get all the music that the, the kids are listening to and experiencing. get to hear it as well, which just really added to it. And then The Fires by Sigrid Huggelen Bjorn's daughter. Translated from, I guess, Icelandic by Larissa Kaiser. (laughs) Possibly don't read this if you're going to go to Iceland anytime soon. (laughs) So it is, I guess it could happen. So Anna is, uh, she studies volcanoes. She is like in charge of the Volcano Institute in Iceland. And things go really badly with volcanoes, to sum it up. (laughs) It's, It's not good. So you get all the science and... Behind the volcanoes, you get a lot of Icelandic volcano history, which was really interesting and just general, like how volcanoes work and how things can go really badly, really quickly. And then she is also, at the same time, actually, you probably shouldn't read this because she is having an affair and trying to break it off and it's not working. And and so the, the volcanoes and the affair are sort of mirroring each other. There's a lot going on in this book. It was pretty, pretty quick to read and... A really slow burn adventure because you know something's gonna go really wrong, but it takes almost the whole book for it to just uh, literally explode. Yeah. (laughs) So, very interesting, very dramatic, and a little freaky, quite frankly. (laughs) And then, some Desperate Glory by Emily Tesh, a little sci fi. Uh, This is not her first book. I thought for some reason I thought it was, but then I went back and she has a couple other series. So, uh, Earth Has Been Destroyed within the past 50 years, uh, by aliens. And there is a small remnant of humanity continuing the rebellion, raising the children to be warriors and, you know, save humanity. And Valkyr is the best of her year, or one of the best. Her twin brother is the best. Things go sideways. They have to get off the planet. And then things go sideways again. This one was so fun. If you are a sci-fi fantasy world building kind of person. Like, this is a very great summer read. And it was really interesting because Valkyr is super awful person at the beginning. (laughs) And, and yet you end up rooting for her. So that's always a fun transition. Lots of learning going on. And, and and I just I really enjoyed it. I think I gave it five stars just because I was thought it was such a great example of the genre. Is it going to be classic literature? Probably not. But I've decided to be more generous in my rating system because I just really, really enjoyed this book very much. That's great. Yeah. I think I gave The Fires five stars as well because it was kind of the same thing. I just really enjoyed it. Is it going to be classic? Is it, you know, people going to be reading it a hundred years? No, but whatever. If I it made you say, wow, and yeah. you read a lot of books, then yeah, it probably is worth five stars. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I mean, I had a different system for reading it. All right. But I have one more book, Romantic Comedy, <laughs> Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld. Again, I gave it five stars. This is another great summer book. Sally Mills is a writer for a show that is clearly supposed to be Saturday Night Live. It's called The Night Owls, I think. And this book starts off in 2018. The guest of the week is Noah Brewster, who is a... Pop star. He's been famous since he was 18, which was like 20 years ago. There's obviously some little sparks flying, but Sally has not been very successful in love recently, so she kind of doesn't think anything's going on. So you get all of this really interesting behind the scenes into a comedy sketch show, which was fascinating. And then it picks back up in 2020. So if you are not into reading about deep into lockdown, you should probably skip this one. They reconnect. And, you know, shenanigans ensue. I it just I really enjoyed it. It was well written. It had this whole interesting behind the scenes, plus great romance with adults. They're both in their late 30s. I just really enjoyed it. And that's it. That's it? I know. Slacking. Super underachiever. I have two for you. Well done.
1: I read the new Jeanette Walls, Hang the Moon. Jeanette Walls wrote a memoir maybe 10 years ago called The Glass Castle about her life growing up with some challenging parents in Appalachia. And this novel, this is a novel, and it is also takes place in Appalachia. And it is a Prohibition-era family drama. So our main character is Sally Kincaid. And she is, at the outset of the book, a young daughter of a man called the Duke. Everybody calls him the Duke. And she adores her father. He just rules the roost in this town and county, I think, from how it's described. The main problem with him is that he has remarried a woman who cannot stand Sally. So she gets sent off to live with an aunt for a while. And then she is brought back into the fold as a young woman, like freshly 18 or whatever. And she comes back to the fold. There's a lot of drama. It is now full on prohibition era. And she learns that her dad was a huge part of the bootlegging operation in that area and how he ran his business and how he was paid rent. And all of that was the currency was moonshine. Things unfold and Sally is charged with taking over the business. And we are on a journey with her as she makes big decisions about how she's going to uphold the family family legacy and how she's going to make it her own. This is based on actual women bootleggers. The references in the back of the book are sort of fascinating in their own right. It kind of makes me want to go and paw through some of those books. Super strong women characters, really interesting family dynamics, lots of family secrets completely worthwhile. It was what I took with me on our California road trip. And so every night I would have a little bit of reading about Sally Kincaid and her bootlegging. It was kind of a romp, but also had a lot of meat behind it in terms of family legacy and that kind of thing. Really good novel. I liked it. And then I came home and had a lot of projects and art calling my attention. And I listened to Fashionopolis by Dana Thomas. This book is nonfiction and it is an investigation into the damage of the clothing industry, the impact of fast fashion, the more recent history of globalization, companies offshoring to produce clothes in China and India and elsewhere, the impact of technology, how... How machine looms operate, how they're, how they're dangerous, how child labor has, you know, what that, what the implications of that are. And of course, the human rights behind that. She, the author, Dana Thomas interviews a huge number of designers and inventors who are looking to improve this industry. And it was. Super eye opening to me. It's hard to hear how they're, they're making, they're trying to make these changes, like one or two designers against thousands of companies that are churning out such huge mountains of clothes that really go to waste, that destroy the environment. The impacts are, I don't think they're overstated. It was, it was pretty eye opening. And then at the end of the book, she makes some suggestions, assertions as to what we can do about it as consumers. And chief among them is to buy less, wash your clothes less frequently, because so many of our clothes have microplastics in them. And every time you wash them, it goes into the water systems. And the microplastics don't get, they're so tiny, they don't get filtered out and they get, they're pushed right out to sea or into the water tables. And then For the real super fashionista people, she suggested the rent the runway type thing, renting more and that kind of a system for it. And she didn't say it, but for me, it just echoed my whole sewing process right now and to make things that are meaningful to me. So it was very hugely inspiring to listen to this book. I'm eager to return to my clothes making I didn't have anything, f- a finished article for May, and that was disheartening, but I have plans for a couple projects for this month. I thought this was a super fascinating. Deep, not just a glimpse, but a real look at the industry as it is right now. It feels very current. It's, I think it was published within the last year. For anybody who cares about environmental issues, clothing, we make a huge amount of clothing in this world and it matters. The audio version was excellent. It was read by the author. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Now I'm ready to make. Nice.
0: Excellent books.
1: And the making fits in with the bingo.
0: Let's talk about the bingo. It started Friday, May 26th, and will run through Monday, September 4th. To enter, you need to post a photo with your completed bingo line column diagonal to either Instagram with the hashtag Bingo 2023 or to our Ravelry thread. You can get a second entry for a blackout, which is all of the squares. And if you complete all three bird-themed squares, you can post that as well and get entered to win a bird-themed prize. Very exciting stuff. Unless you hate birds. Well. (laughs) In which case, you're probably not going to do the bird-themed thing anyway. No, but you could. You know, immersion therapy kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. Um, So I had a couple. The debut author was, oh, uh, whatever her name was, Gigi Listening was the book was a debut author. Some place to visit was Iceland, although, as I said, it kind of, <laughs> the book The Fires kind of made me not want to visit there so much. I started a new project, which was my Mystery Gnome, and Symphony of Secrets was uh, starring a person of color. I was surprised, looking back at what I had read, how few of my books had them, I mean, I had 11 books, and only one had a person of color as the lead character, which I was surprised. And I realized they were really a lot of secondary color, you know, the best friends and and that kind of thing. And so I really do need to, to pay attention more to books that I'm choosing, because um, I was kind of – I was disappointed in that, but hmm. that there were so few. Interesting.
1: Yeah. I also had four entries for Bingo. I taught my oldest son how to make granola. Gra- nice. Groundbreaking, but – That means that I don't have to. Then I read The Fashionopolis, which is normally I do not go for nonfiction unless it's bird related. And this was just fascinating. So I'm really glad that I read that for my read a different genre. And then I baked Parmesan crackers from scratch. And I cooked bird themed duck fat (laughs) potatoes, which
0: can I just say so crispy. I wish I could taste them. Several of you have been jumping right in on Instagram. Susan, son sp is working on both a Hapkerchief by Gudrun Johnston and Fingerless Mitts. And then on Ravelry, Hockey Rachel started two new projects. And Burdette has just been crafting up a storm. She started a new project. I can't tell what it is. I think maybe it's a shawl. That's my guess. But Who knows? Um, it's very mysterious. She finished up a whip, and it was also a summary project, a very cool-looking color-block tank top, which the tension looked totally fine. And then she did Andrea Mowry's Old Port Hat, which is both an accessory and she made it a couple of times, so it was a remake. And then she did a triple dip for The Magic Fish by Trung Lee Nguyen, which was a debut author, person of color, and a librarian recommendation. Wow! Which book was that? The Magic Fish. I think it's a graphic novel as well. Although we don't have that as a we could we could for yeah. next year yeah. add a graphic novel. Yeah, bravo! Yeah. So love seeing all of those things that you all are working on, and and you know giving me some ideas. And I think that's it. Love it. Ooh. Busy couple of weeks. For you. <laughs> I feel like you had stuff to talk about too. Anyway, until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbeam.com. You can find us on Instagram as CraftCookReadrepeat or Courtney S F. That's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.